0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. These words we call the gospel in the nutshell. That's a condensed and beautiful version of the consequences of sin. God's plan for the world, how he sent his Son and what his Son did to redeem us. And it's all said in one verse. This verse forms the cornerstone or the pillar of many a, a strong faith, probably even in the room today. Many people quote this as their favorite Bible verse and find in it the truth that enlivens their faith when they wake in the morning and go about their day. But I think one of the things that's we, that we must do when we confront this verse is realized that this verse didn't come just out of nowhere. This verse is fit within the context, certainly, of the scriptures at large, but also out of a conversation, a conversation that Jesus was having with a man named Nicodemus, a common conversation between two men who love God and who wanted to know more about each other and about God. And so this narrative begins not in, but in 3 verse 1. And so that's where we'll begin. If you want to open your Bible, I invite you to follow along with us. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So what little we know of Nicodemus, we basically find here. He was a man of authority, renown, prestige in the community of faith amongst the Jewish people of his time. Certainly, he was A person who knew God's word, who was familiar in the scriptures, who knew the law, the prophets, creation narratives, the promise of the coming Messiah. And he was coming to Jesus at night to talk to him. So what's that all about? Think about that for a minute. Who comes in the middle of the night to have a conversation Now, with electric lighting, many of us love sitting around and enjoying company with other people, but this wasn't a well-lit area. Maybe there was one candle illuminating each other's faces while they had this conversation. Maybe not. Maybe just the light of the moon and the stars. But we know that Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night for a reason. Why is that? What's that reason? Why did he do this? Is he ashamed to be associated with Jesus? Maybe. We don't really know. Maybe it's more along the lines of he was embarrassed of what other people might think. If he, this upstanding, uh, high-authority, intelligent, educated, Pharisee of Pharisee-type guys, who's also given authority on the ruling council, if he were to be associated with this this gossip-filled street preacher named Jesus? What would they think about him? But for whatever reason, we know that Nicodemus doesn't come to the conversation in perhaps the best of light, pardon the pun. He is certainly coming to Jesus with something on his mind. He has heard the miracles of Jesus. He has maybe even seen them himself. He's heard his teachings and know that this is not just another false prophet come to ruin people's lives, but rather there's something in his message that is powerful, beyond what man could conjure. And so he says to Jesus, Rabbi, he starts off by using his his title of respect and honor, teacher, Rabbi, Even though this man, Nicodemus, is a man probably advanced in years who's had a long and lustrous career where he has had amazing uh, reward for his time and and has been given great authority, he still utilizes a a common uh, respect for Jesus in calling him teacher, this 30-year-old man who sits in front of him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus sees Jesus and all that he's doing and says there's something different about this guy and he has to come talk to him. He wants to know what he's all about and he's a learned man. He knows the scriptures. He knows what the, the foretelling of events is going to be in the near future, that there's going to be one who comes. There's going to be a Messiah. He knows that the people in Jerusalem are under intense persecution under the Romans, and he thinks, maybe this is our guy. I better go find out. And so he comes to him and says these words. He says, we know that you're from God. And Jesus doesn't even wait for him to ask a question. He leaps right into the conversation. He wants to have a conversation with Nicodemus. He wants to stretch his brain and his heart a little bit. In response to this, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And you're kind of like, where did that come from, Jesus? Nicodemus is here just saying, hey, I like what you have to say. And then you come out and say something so unusual that it's really hard to understand or comprehend for even a man like Nicodemus, who's well-versed in the scriptures and knows... What it is to see the Messiah coming. And so Nicodemus, you can sense his confusion, he says, "Well, OK, but how can a man be born again when he's old?" Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. He even makes a mockery of Jesus' statement a little bit, to try and get him to elaborate on what he's trying to say here. Jesus answers him, "I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born." And then he builds on this this giant conundrum even more. Nicodemus is trying to swallow this whole elephant of understanding the spiritual realms and the kingdom of God, and he wants to gulp it all down so that he can have understanding and clarity about what Jesus is doing. But he can't swallow an elephant. And here Jesus just takes the elephant and stacks another elephant on top of it and says, here you go, eat that. Not only do you need to be born again, you need to be born again of water and the Spirit. So, then he continues to build on this double tall elephant, saying this, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. He says, Nicodemus, you should not be confused about this. And here's Nicodemus going confused about this. (laughs) I am surprised to hear you say these words. I don't understand what it is you're getting at, Jesus. Can you please clarify this a little more? But Jesus is pointing him to his area of expertise. He says, you know the scriptures. You know the promises of God. You know the provisions that he has in place for the coming of the kingdom of God from the Old Testament. This shouldn't surprise you, but look, it is surprising you. Maybe that should tell you something about where you are placing your trust and your confidence. So he continues from there and says, you shouldn't be surprised that when I say you must be born again because the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from and where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He brings the analogy of wind into it. and He says, I know that this is something that's confusing to you because you're trying to swallow two whole elephants. Take a moment and realize this is not something that you, Nicodemus, or anyone else can comprehend. The kingdom of God is beyond your reckoning and your ability to understand. This this thing that I am doing here, establishing a new kingdom as the Messiah, is not something that you can really get on board with to understand it fully. Instead, like the wind, you can see its signs, The wind, you can feel it on your cheek. You can see it rustle the curtains by the open window. You can smell it carrying good smells or bad into your home or into your car. Jesus wouldn't say that, obviously, but we would. You know the signs of the wind, but if you were to ask to describe wind without saying what wind does, but just what wind is, that's a little more challenging. Dare I say impossible. Impossible. That's how wind operates, and that's how Jesus says being born again of the Spirit operates. You don't see it happen, but you see its incidents. You see the things that occur because of it. You see good works and miracles, and you hear words of God powerfully proclaimed and truth taught. You see all of these signs, and you wonder, is this the coming Messiah? And the answer is yes, but you're not seeing The kingdom of God, and you're not seeing the the new spiritual rebirth, you're seeing the signs of it. And that's where faith enters into the equation. Nicodemus, like a lot of us probably would, is trying to wrap his brain around it so he can get behind it. But what God is calling believers to do is to get behind it so that it might be revealed and our minds might be opened. We're trying to do the opposite thing first, we're trying to understand and comprehend so that we can believe. And God is calling us instead to believe so that we might have understanding. We might have our minds opened. And so there's a continuation here. Jesus says, So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's like the wind. Nicodemus is really confused now. He says, Well, how can this be? He's almost befuddled. He can't even get out a sentence anymore. And Jesus says, (laughs) I've not really talked about anything too terribly complex here, Nicodemus. You should know this stuff. After all, you are Israel's teacher, aren't you? You're one of the wisest, one of the most learned, highly educated, highly decorated, given authority and power. What? If you don't understand these things, then who can? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen so who's the we there jesus is speaking of course of himself of his disciples who are following him he's speaking also to those who who are heralding his coming meaning john the baptist and his followers as well they're saying listen even though these are complex things if you try and swallow them whole if you approach them the right way they're not complicated Simple fishermen can understand them. It's simply the truth. It's simply what we see. It's simply what we hear. And we're just testifying to this stuff. We're not trying to break people's brains open. We're just trying to tell what we see and what we experience through conversations. But you, people, do not accept our testimony. So, who's you, people? The learned ones. The ones who like to have a rubric and a system for understanding things. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, the high council. People like Nicodemus. They don't accept the testimony. It says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Nicodemus wants to speak about things which are beyond his comprehension. He wants to gain understanding beyond what's right in front of his face. And Jesus says, how are you going to understand anything beyond what's in front of your face when sitting literally right in front of your face is the way, the truth, and the life? Everything that you need to know is right in front of you, right now. Quit trying to look out there and look right here. Then he moves on from there and says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That is the Son of Man. Jesus is speaking, of course, of himself. Then he, for some reason, goes back to the Old Testament and says, now just as Moses held up the serpent in the wilderness of Paran when the people who were snake-bitten could look at it and be healed, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And this is where we go into the gospel in a nutshell, verse 16. In this context, now you can see he's confronted the the strange reality of trying to comprehend everything that God is doing. And instead of giving a broad dissertation on God's salvation, he gives one sentence. He says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He condenses the reality of man's sin, his plan for salvation, and the destiny of those who follow him into one sentence. And it's beautiful, but it's also scary, because the reality is that we are all in that scenario now as sinners where we deserve condemnation and where our destiny is to perish. And that is what we really need to know if we are like Nicodemus, seeking to have a conversation with Jesus, is we come to him and we say, Teacher, we know you're from God, but I am not worthy to stand before you because I'm a sinner who deserves to perish who deserves that condemnation. But, John three sixteen comes in and flips the script. It says, yes, even though you deserve condemnation and you deserve to perish, here's the plan. Here's the new playbook. The Son of Man is in the world now because God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not have condemnation. His destiny will be different. He will have life Not just for today, but forever. So John 3.16, I think, gets a, a, a little bit more broad, even though it's one simple statement. Even though it's one simple verse. It truly is a revelation to us of what God has to say for us. And this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus can serve somewhat as a blueprint for how we should have spiritual conversations. This series that we've been in is Simply Be, and we're concluding it with Simply Be, a conversationalist. And I know some of you out there are like, that's not me. I am not an extroverted person. I don't just go and talk to people that I don't know. I, I don't know how to have a conversation with someone that I just met or that, I, that I'm not comfortable in sharing those, those kinds of things with. And some of you guys are like, oh, you know, it's, it's whatever. I talk with people all the time. Sure. Like, I just go sit on a bus and the person next to me, hey, how about them cardinals, right? It's like, that's not me. I know that's not some of you. Some of you, it is you. God made each of you differently. He gave you different skills and abilities. Some of you are conversationalists. Some of you aren't. But here, today, we're talking about how we are all called to be a conversationalist whether you're an introvert or whether you're an extrovert. But it's not being a conversationalist about everyday things. It's being a conversationalist in a special kind of way, having spiritual conversations. Christ's command is that we all share the good news with those in our lives. We don't get to choose whether or not we talk to other people about Jesus. Your Lord has commanded you to do so. But we can do so with joy in our heart. Because of what John 3.16 tells us. And because of conversations that Jesus has. We know that Jesus' teachings, many of the, the red letters in your Bible from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a little bit of Acts, and a few sentences in Revelation. When you go through and you look at all of those red letter statements, you'll notice something. Most of those red letter statements don't happen while Jesus is standing behind a pulpit. Most of those things happen while Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples, while he's reclined at table with a friend of his, while he's uh, at the temple courts, but not on Sunday morning or Saturday morning, but just hanging out and loving on people and serving them, doing his normal everyday routine. And that's wonderful news for us because Jesus has conversations, spiritual conversations on the go, And so do we. So we are not called all to be missionaries who stand on a soapbox and preach and proclaim about Jesus for, what am I going on, 20 minutes now? We're not all called to do that, but we are all called to have spiritual conversations on the go. So think about those people that you talk with on a regular basis. Think about your coworkers, your neighbors, your children, your parents, your daughter or your son. Think about how you interact with people on a regular basis, whether you talk with them all the time or barely talk with them at all. And think about how you speak with them. As you're going, look for opportunities. The Holy Spirit puts them in front of us all. Look for opportunities to put a plug in, a little statement, a small conversation in about your faith, about your Lord, about the good news about Jesus. It doesn't have to be some grand, eloquent, religious, spiritual conversation, but it can be a a little spiritual conversation. Just something about who you are, what your identity is, things that are important to you. But then, also equally important to talking— is what our epistle lesson shares with us. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. When you open that door, some people will say, no, I don't want to go there. Some people, some people will say, sure, I'll engage in a conversation about this. And sometimes when you open that door a little bit, floodgates open. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And it's our job as Christians to simply be a vessel the Holy Spirit to have these conversations with others. And so that's what my encouragement to you is today. Every time you hear John three sixteen, think about what that promise is. Because God so loved not just the people in this room. He so loved the whole world that he sent his son for each and every one of them. And it's your job to make sure that they come to know that love of God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for calling us today to be conversationalists in spiritual conversations with those in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bless and keep us to proclaim boldly the good news of Jesus in a simple way, a way that can have an impact on others in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your example of how to have conversations about spiritual matters. And pray, Lord, that above all, you'll help us to remember the truth of John 3.16, that you loved us so much and indeed the whole world, that your Son came into the world to die for us. That our ultimate destiny would not be to perish, but instead to have life everlasting. In your name. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.